0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: And again by Benning. Darnell
2: Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center! Perry! Stoops! Corey Perry! Oh, able to shake away from Solani, it's giving away to Solani! Alright, we are back with another Forever Mighty post-game show. I'm going to give it a shout-out quickly because uh, Joseph Roba is the one who created that new intro, if you're looking at it on YouTube currently. Uh, He gave us a a cool intro, and again, you'll see later on in the show a cool outro as well. It goes along with the intro we've always had on the audio version, but now we've got a cool little uh, video portion to run through it. So, before we get into the game, I have to introduce our guest host here. Uh, Jason is at hockey, and Patrick is on a flight back from Colorado. So, we've got my friend here, McCann Sanford, who's going to join us. What up? How we doing? Happy to be here. It's uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, happy to be here, but then also not so happy with the outcome of tonight's game, right?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, it would have been cool to steal the second point, but stealing one point in that uh, situation was, uh, I mean, pretty remarkable.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've been doing it all season with the way they've been playing. It Somehow scraping out these wins, I think we're all a little bit surprised again with the way they were able to come back and at least get a point out of this game. Um, I guess it kind of overshadows the, the way the Ducks played in this game because you know, they played good for the rest of the third, and then it doesn't look as bad when you still pick up one point. But ultimately, it's their fifth straight loss.
0: Yeah. No, that's what I was kind of, like, thinking as I was watching it, because you see the effort level start to pick up in the third, and then so you start slowly forgetting about, like, maybe the terribleness of the first period and the second period, um, but then, I mean, every once in a while in the third, you still kind of were brought back to it with maybe a uh,
2: errant pass that was just not even close to being on the, um, on the player's stick. Yeah. So let's get into the pregame here. Of course, John Gibson is in net again, or no surprise here. Uh, pretty much every game that's not a back-to-back, John Gibson will be starting. Uh, Isaac Lindstrom plays in his 10th game, which obviously is significant because now he's burned a year off his entry-level contract, just like Maxime Comtois has. Were you a bit surprised to see him given this shot playing in his 10th game now that both him and Comtois have burned a year off their entry-levels?
0: I mean, if you told me um, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I would be like, oh, there's no way that's going to happen. But with the way he's playing, I mean, how could you not, like, yeah. just be rooting for the kid and want him to stay? Because, I mean, when he has the puck on his stick, I mean, he just slows the game down. He's kind of like a mini Getzlaff.
2: Pretty much. I mean, he he's so responsible in his own day, and I think that's the main reason that he's he's come up. The The offense hasn't been quite there. He's had his chances, but... Uh, Randy Carlyle, I think, he had a comment before the game today talking about how they can rely on him to send him on different situations. They put him out on the PK. You know, He's been up and down the lineup, playing on the left, on the right, at center. Uh, so they're kind of trying to figure out where his best position is, and they played him at center tonight. So I think it's a matter of time, really, before he gets that going. Uh, there's a little bit more news before. The Cash and Eaves are still out. We haven't had too much update other than the fact that Eaves is skating with the team Cash isn't silferberg though back in the lineup the ducks put out a projected lineup on instagram where he wasn't in there and then all of a sudden he's skating at warm-ups and then he's in the lineup but great to see him back because somehow he still co-leads this team in points
0: i mean yeah you wouldn't have thought he missed a beat i mean diving for um spoiler but diving for um clearing attempts and um just pretty much doing everything on the ice um yeah i mean just so good to see him back in there
2: yeah, I mean, what he provides to this team offensively as well, but like you said, the diving play that we'll get to later and a, and a couple other plays defensively, that's another impact that he has on this team that a lot of people don't really recognize. Uh, some more news as well. I mean, there's a lot of pregame news, just a lot of roster shakeup. Uh, Andre Suster was uh, sent to down to waivers, cleared waivers, and then he was sent to San Diego along with Marcus Pedersen. In turn, Jakob Larson and Andy Walensky were called up and were rumored to be playing on the third pairing together. But, of course, Randy Carlisle switched things up the moment the puck dropped, and I believe Larson yeah. was all over the place in this game. He was playing with uh, Manson to start the night. He played with Fowler at sometimes. played with Walensky for a bit. Same with Andy Walensky. He was all over the place. But really cool to see these guys kind of get a chance because that bottom pairing hasn't been that great this year.
0: I know this is pretty much the moment we've been waiting for, right? I mean, we've been talking uh, – you- I've been listening, I should say, <laughs> to you guys and and everyone talk about how like when is Jakob Larson gonna um, crack the lineup? And I think just after um, just the tumultuous last couple games, um, I think they really were like, you know what? Then if this isn't working, we really have to shake things up. And so um, it was good that he got in there. He was a little unnoticeable, I would say, but um, sometimes as a defenseman, that's a, <laughs> that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, uh, there was yeah. a couple of plays I think where maybe. He wasn't, the you know, the inexperience there. He hasn't played an NHL game in two years, so there was a couple chances there where you kind of expected that. And Andy Walensky looked a lot like he did last year. But uh, the last bit of news here is that Comtois is still in the IR. Cash, like I said, not skating. Richie wasn't skating, and neither was Carter Rowney. Uh, Shen, uh, Pet- Peterson, or who we figured out, was actually sent down to San Diego. Richie and Street were all scratched. And then Adam Henrique starting on top line left wing, so they bumped Sam Steele up to third line left uh, center, and now it's Getzlaff, Kessler, and Steele down the middle with Henrique on the left wing. What did you think about them bumping up Henrique up to the top line before the game started?
0: Well, um, just I don't know. Something of, like Henrique's been struggling. I feel like he just hasn't been. Um, hasn't been that noticeable as of late, and so um, maybe trying to give him maybe a new look and maybe not um, make him a facilitator and maybe try to give him a chance to um, maybe close on the puck, Um, maybe that was the thought process, but um, I thought Steele um, looked actually really, really good. After that first, I guess, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but um, he was looking really, really good on some uh, um, early chances there.
2: Yeah, and he was given more of a responsibility playing with auberg and Silverberg, so it was nice to see him kind of take more of a uh, more of a, I guess, an increased role with this team. It's something we really haven't seen from him. But let's finally get in to the first period, and it started off not so great for the Ducks. It starts off with a unlucky goal, I guess you could say. Pretty much, I mean, you get Brent Burns who ends up taking a slap shot from the point. It takes a ridiculous bounce off the boards. Nobody's on Logan Couture, but I guess nobody expects that type of bounce and he throws it into an empty net.
0: I feel like after all these years, though, we got to start expecting these crazy bounces off these boards in Anaheim. Though. I mean, yeah. Um... Yeah, I was, I was just getting to my seat during that goal, and it was just, I mean, it's not very fun to walk out of the tunnel to a, a cheering and being like, a, oh, did, did something amazing happen? And then to see all the Sharks fans was, uh, was a, a pretty rough welcome to the Honda Center tonight.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah. think it's, a, you know, there's not much you can really do on that play. Uh, as If you're looking at Josh Manson, who ends up being the one, unfortunately, who is kind of out of position on that, and he ends up sprawling to try and block it. Uh, nobody expects it to come out that way. But you have both Couture and I believe it was Joakim Ryan who are both open on that left side if the puck was to come out to that side, even if it was just a wrapper on the board. So a little bit of defensive mis- uh, misplay. But again, nothing John Gibson can do. And how many times have we said that this year with the goals that go into the back of the net, a lot of them it's either a breakaway or there's you know, it hits somebody or in this case it hits off the boards and it's a, an open net. Not much he can do on that play.
0: Yeah, he's a uh, – I mean, he'll, he'll make the first stop, the second stop, and then the third or fourth one will go in, and that kind of is – I mean, <laughs> you can just see it on his face after um, those third and fourth chance goals where he's just like, gosh, like can yeah, somebody man. clear this damn puck?
2: Now, I don't know if you saw this because you said you were just getting into a seat, but Evander Kane absolutely dangles Brandon Montour. and I did I, see that. Yeah. I believe he did this in the playoffs last year too. So for some reason I think he just has Montour's number, but it, it was very similar, like almost an identical dig to the one he did last year.
0: Yeah, he looked like he was playing uh, playing Chell out there. I mean, he is so <laughs> fast; like he is so much faster than our our defenseman. And so, right as I got to my seat, I uh, was welcomed again with the uh, the wonderful like. I think he went um, like between the legs or, and then like had to bring it back and luckily Gibby um, stayed with it and kind of like um, created sort of just like a, a, a blockade in front for anything that he was going to try to do. Um, and like, I mean, thankfully I, whenever those situations happen, I'm just like, please don't like highlight us or posterize us yeah. as they would say in like in basketball.
2: <laughs> really? I mean, without getting too far ahead, it would have been a contender for goal of the night if he had to that for sure. Uh It goes pretty much after that there wasn't a lot of things going on until you get to really, I guess, the Ducks' first major chance of the game, and it ends up going to the back of the net off of kind of a a harmless play because you've got Ryan Getzloff at the point who ends up passing it into the slot for Josh Manson. And it's a good scoring area, but he, for some reason, decides to take it into coverage on his backhand and just throw it on net. Uh, again, he's not a veteran goal scorer, so that uh, you can expect the type of play for him. But it ends up going in off a of Sharks defender into the back of the net.
0: Yeah, that, that goal was, uh, I mean, you have Getzoff right in the middle. And um, I will say this, anytime Getzoff has the puck, um, there's a dangerous chance coming, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and going to pass. Yeah, so. you got to... Yeah, he's going to always, I know, I mean, the the screams in the stands for shoot every single time he gets the puck is um, ear-jarring, but um, yeah, it was kind of a weird play where you kind of weren't expecting what he was going to do, you didn't really know what he was going for, and then just maybe that's what got um, uh, Martin going, and so he just, I mean, backhands it right in, and I mean, that, that got us back into it, maybe got us feeling a little good for a while.
2: Yeah, it, it, you know they got into it a little bit after that because Steele gets a nice one-timer that stopped point blank by Martin Jones. But then after that, I mean, the rest of this period was pretty much all Sharks. You've got Don Square right after that heads up the other way and forces John Gibson to make a save. Meyer and Hurdle are then denied point blank off a double save from John Gibson. And then what do you know? Halfway through the period, the shots are twelve to four, and it's kind yeah. of what we've come to expect. And then. Again, after that, you get a two-on-one, Gibson stops Hurdle. Another two-on-one, Gibson stops Brent Burns. And it's just, I mean, at that point, shots were 16-4 to after those two-on-ones. And how many times are the Ducks going to start this way? And it's somehow because of John Gibson, they're still in the game. It's still tied at one.
0: I know. Uh, I mean, watching the. I mean, it's just like every time the puck gets into um, our offensive zone, I mean, just a little thing, and then all of a sudden, two on one, two on one, two on one, and it's just like, oh, please, please, please. Oh, okay, thank God. Oh, please, please, please. Okay, thank God. And I mean, <laughs> if we had Martin Jones and they had John Gibson, this game is fifteen to zero. Tell you right now.
2: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, from there, I mean, the, the Ducks get a good shift. Really, they're only good shift of that period by Cogliano, Kessler, and Sherwood. Cogliano gets a backhander on net, but Jones makes a, a fairly easy pad save off of what was a surprising shot from Cogliano. And then the last uh, play of this period, uh, Getzlaff, with just a horrible giveaway. I mean, it, it for me it either seems, about 90% of the time he's making a great pass, and the other yeah. 10% of the time it's uh, a giveaway trying to make that pass, and he tries to make a stretch pass, gives it away, Kane sends a cross-crease pass to LeBanc that actually hits off Montour's skate, and once again Gibby has to come through with an excellent save. But story of the first period: John Gibson shows from yeah. nineteen to eight Sharks, and somehow the Ducks are still in it. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I we we've, the last five shows for us have been pretty much identical. In in you looking at even just in the first period, they've been pretty much the same. The Ducks are usually getting outshot double digits. In this case. Double their shots by by three. I mean, it was nineteen to eight. Uh, not a good effort, but somehow they're tied at one.
0: I know we're just uh, getting a lot of um, in some of these early games. We're just holding in by Gibson's um, just amazing play and then all these little tiny little puck lucks that we've been getting tonight's Manson's goal was was nice but um, a lot of the time we're just getting on lucky bounces and like in those first couple games that was kind of what got us through and we're starting to see that like we have we're not putting in talent out for some of our goals we're just kind of getting lucky um, as we're going to find out in some of these goals a lot of them are just off of um, errant players and whatnot
2: yeah and and the Sharks come out hot in the second period it opens up with a goal and, uh, I mean, it's not really a great effort defensively by the Ducks. You've got Tomasz Hurdle who's allowed to walk around rapid out front. Mm-hmm. And you've got Andy Walensky kind of just watching Rourke Sharche in front of the net. And uh, guess who picks up their first NHL goal against the Ducks? Well, that would be Rourke sharche and, and we talked about this on the last show where it was a bunch of firsts for the Stars. And it's another first here for the Sharks. Not a great play defensively by the Ducks, but, I mean, how many more guys are going to score their first goal against us?
0: I know we're just creating dreams for some of these players.
2: (laughs) We are the place you go to get your first goal. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, pretty much. Uh, But defensively, Walensky, I think this was probably one of his worst plays of the game because he's just kind of there watching Shaoche. He reacts late, and then he starts swinging his stick just trying to get uh, something on it. And it's not like Shaoche one time did. He had enough time to turn around and throw it into the net.
0: Yeah. Um it was I believe it was off the second um the second wraparound attempt. Yeah. And um towards the front of the crease. They they wrapped it around, it, it bounced off of a Gibby's pad and then I mean we're just we just have people watching. I mean, are you making things happen or you watching things happen? And some of these guys are just standing there watching things happen, watching the other team outwork us and it's ugh, as a fan it's not fun.
2: No, no, it isn't. No. And it didn't get much more fun after that later on because you've got uh, Eric Carlson doing Eric Carlson things with a ridiculous stretch pass to create a, another odd man rush for the Sharks, this time three on two. Timo Meyer is the lone open guy. And, uh, you know, Gibson gets a piece of the shot, but Myers is open. He has a hard shot. He's been on fire for the Sharks, and he makes it three to one.
0: Yeah, just another. Um, I think it went in um, between the the left arm and the, and the body. Right? Just right through. Trickle. It was one of those uh, trickle-in goals. And, I mean, you could just see it in Gibson's face after. I mean, he's just like, can somebody help me?
2: I know. He shakes his head. And, to be, I mean, the one thing I want to mention here, because I I know everybody wants to hear about the Ducks, but Eric Carlson hasn't really been the Eric Carlson, I think, that the Sharks had expected this season. But these are the types of plays you expect from this guy. I mean, that was one of the best passes I've seen all season. It's crossed the ice. It's from literally his red line, and it's a tape-to-tape pass that sets up a goal. He'll end up getting the secondary assist on that goal, but, I mean, he's the only reason that that goal happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, who better having the um, puck coming out of the zone than Eric Carlson? I mean, you can see it um, during the game. If you watch the forwards, every time the puck was getting in either Burns or Carlson's um, stick, they immediately just take off, and so they have that – um, that security blanket of, the, let's say Carlson does give up the puck, which is unlikely in the um, in the defensive zone. Like, they know that he's going to be in a pretty good position to be able to maybe wait for them to get back, but they just take off and allows him to make these stretch passes. And, I mean, having someone like that coming out of the zone with the puck is, is a wonderful luxury to have.
2: Yeah, and uh, do we get a fight sort of almost maybe. Blandisi and Sorensen almost try and drop the gloves, but the refs break it up. I mean, what, what's the point of, uh, here? You don't. It's not like you have a huge disadvantage. It's not like you have a guy who is going to manhandle the other guy. It's two guys who ne- might not necessarily play that often. Swanson, I think, is a little bit more high profile than Blandisi. But it's honestly, you know, I know they're trying to take fighting out of the game. But what's the point of stopping them from going out of here? I mean, Blandisi is trying to get something sparked for the Ducks, and he's gotten Swanson yeah. into wanting to, to go into a fight.
0: Yeah, that was, that kind of caught me off guard. I was, um, I mean, you've been watching Hawker, hockey significantly longer than me, so I wanted to ask you. It doesn't make sense why, if they're both committed to the fight and there's no, like, there's no people laying on around you. I mean, maybe they stop it um, for other people, but, like, Blandisi is trying to make the team, trying to make a statement, and we yes. definitely need someone to step up, but, like, you're stopping the fight. I, I tweeted, like, why are the NBA refs hopping in here real quick? Like, it just doesn't, I don't know. It's just, like, you look like a fool. You yeah. stopping the fight?
2: It was I, weird. In some cases, I I can advocate it where you know maybe it's it's a it's a seasoned guy and if he's picking on a guy and you know Pedersen the other day where he obviously yeah did that's not what want I was thinking Radek facts if you step in there that's fine but both of these guys seem like they wanted to go and they're ready to go and in Blandisi's case uh, th- that's a good play for him to take at that point I mean the Ducks just went down three to one they need some kind of spark to get them back into it. And Sorensen got suckered into to wanting to fight too. I'm not sure what play that led to that, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with trying to take fighting out of the game to make it safer, but if two guys are willing to go and there's no disadvantage or anything Rules. going on there, yeah, there's you, no... then I, I, I don't see why you shouldn't let them go.
0: Yeah, and that put us in a pickle because um, we had just let a goal in, and then now we're about to go 4-on-4 four four because they're roughing penalties and not, like, fighting. So um, that would take them out of the game. Now it's just taking them out of the plays. And so then we go 4 v 4 um, against, I mean, a team you don't want to go 4, four v 4 on.
2: <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. But the Ducks end up getting a goal off another, another lucky bounce in this game. Two goals. The first two goals for the Ducks were off of Sharks' defensemen. Uh, Aberg is fed by Ryan Getzlaff from behind the net. He throws it to the front of the net, and it actually glances off Brent Burns' leg and takes a beeline for the top corner over Martin Jones. Still, a great effort from Pontus Aberg for sure, and he was one of the best Ducks in this game. But the first two goals for Anaheim going in off Sharks players.
0: I know. do we think we were going to be saying that Pontus Aberg was going to be one of the best uh. Ducks, Ducks um, forwards in the game a couple weeks ago? Um, yeah. Hey, I mean. Get pucks to the net, good things happen, especially when um, it seems like kind of all the cards are against you. And so um, I enjoyed it. And there's been a lot of things that Pontus Aberg's done that I haven't been too excited about. And, I mean, he was sent down probably because of those things. Um, but, I mean, it worked.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, defensively, I think they mentioned on the broadcast, that's where he needs to shore up his game. And that's where he's always had issues sticking it in an NHL lineup. He'll be able to pr- produce those highlight real plays that we saw in the third period every now and then. But defensively, there, there's some issues. So I, we were all kind of waiting for this game for him where he would show that he has the skill offensively to stick around in the NHL. Whether he yeah. can fix things on the defensive side, that remains to be seen. He hasn't done it so far, and I think that's why up until this point, he hasn't looked that good. But we got to give credit where credit's due, and that was a good shot for him to throw it on net. Uh, but that would end the second period. At this point, the Ducks were outshot 34-17, to 17. Um, I don't know how many times this year, where you look at the second period shot count, you're like, ah, oh, that's probably the end of the game because 34 <laughs> shots is normal, even high for a three period game. Yeah, the Ducks are getting outshot 34 to 17 at the end of the second. Scoring chances 27 to 12 at five v five. High danger chances 11 to five. I mean, again, the Ducks somehow within a goal. When they're getting just dominated on shot share, dominated on scoring chances, high danger chances they're giving away are way, way too many. But they're, they're keeping in it, and majority of that is due to puck luck in this game and John Gibson, as always.
0: Yeah, John Gibson is the uh, – I mean, there's a, a lot of um, hoo-hoo's in the, in the crowds every time we're leaving the zone. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, let's go back the other way, and um, – it's just it's scary chasing uh, chasing the puck back into your zone. Um, luckily we have Gibson, but it's just he's not going to be able to do it every single time.
2: Yeah, and, and it was at this point that I noticed they were switching around the D pairings like crazy. I went to go check because somebody had asked me if Larson and, and Walensky were playing well together, and I, I checked and Larson had played about five minutes with at five on five with Fowler or Manson. He played a couple minutes here with Walensky, played a couple minutes here, there with Manson. Same with Walensky all over the place. So. They were trying to get things to work, but I mean, at that point, especially at the end of the second, because of the difference in scoring chances, I mean, Larson was struggling. Fowler and Manson were awful. Lintholm and Montour were the best pairing, but that's saying something considering they still weren't that great, and, and everybody on this team was at the negative side of scoring chances and shot share. So. Uh, I I don't know what's going to get to work. I mean, the only thing we really haven't seen for a prolonged period of time is switching the pairings we saw last year with Lindholm and Manson and Fowler and Montour. We saw that for one game this year. Unfortunately, it was a game that went really bad for the Ducks. But how many times do we have to see it get this bad before they decide to switch them back together?
0: I know. It's, uh, it's, It's hard to watch sometimes. I did listen to Montour after the game. He was in Ducks Calls with Josh Brewster, um, and Steve Carroll, shout out, um, post game, uh, um, on
2: our show, come on.
0: No, 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 no. Okay. But they had the player in, you know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> it's the, it's the 30 minutes before we start. Um, fair enough, but, fair enough. uh, um, he said that they were trying basically anything they could. I mean, you could tell, like getting, bringing two new guys up, they were, they were pretty much open to any options, but, um, Montour was just talking about how, I mean, they were just trying to see anything that could work. And I, I saw one part where, uh, or one point where um, Larson's kind of uh, drifting away and then uh, Lindholm, who's like parked right in front of the net, trying to um, trying to remove the puck, is just, like barking at um, Larson to try to get him to come and block the backside. And it's yeah. just, I mean, <laughs> it's getting a little scary when that's all happening.
2: Yeah, a little bit of an experience. But the start of the third period, I think I've seen Larson's, I'm trying to remember back two years ago to his play with the Ducks and the first nine games he played, but this is one of the best plays I've seen him make while in a Ducks uniform. He activates from the blue line, pinches in, and takes the puck from behind the net and wraps it around out front. And honestly, this is what we've been waiting to see for Jakob Larsson. As a whole, it wasn't a great game for him, but I like that you know he's, he's starting maybe to get a little bit more comfortable. It's a good thing that this was later in the third period, that maybe he's starting to get more... Uh, comfortable playing in the NHL again it's been a long time for him so it, it's great to see him creating chances and making plays like that
0: yeah that's what we need we need people to um to when they see an opportunity um you have to you have to engage on the opportunity and try to create something another nothing, especially um in the third period when things were looking pretty bleak
2: yeah we haven't had uh, our defensemen haven't done that too much this year, where they've kind of gotten up into the play and tried to make things happen. It was something that we'd been used to seeing, especially last year and a couple years before that, where you'd see Fowler and Montour Mm -hmm. and Lindholm and even Manson at times jump up into the play and really help facilitate uh, puck possession for the forwards, and we haven't seen it. So it's nice seeing somebody do that, despite how bad the game went as a whole, but it was a good play by Larson. Uh, Again, from there on, the, the Ducks just kind of slowly got better as the period went on. They had a power play for Pavelski went off for high sticking. They controlled possession for about a minute 30 on the power play. They didn't get get the best chances, but I think it's the best power play look we've seen from them in uh, at least the last five games.
0: Oh, easily. I mean, maybe going back to the, I mean, the last Sharks game. Even that, we they looked good that night. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of chances. There was a lot of one-time opportunities that weren't quite getting there. Saw Raquel um, kind of posted up um, in good position, but they just, I don't know. Fowler has, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too excited about Fowler right now. He's been um, a little shaky with the puck, and um, before and after that power play, there was a lot of missed passes. I mean, if you counted how many missed passes there were it might it might run off the paper tonight it was it was bad in that in that regard
2: yeah and it's yeah. it's been bad like that from the blue line in a while uh, for pretty much for the most of this season just not getting a being able to get passes out of the back it's been a problem for fowler especially fowler and manson that pairing has not been good and and it's been broadcasted over the last five games but the Ducks are able to get a goal. This is the goal we've been waiting for. I think everybody's been waiting this for This is the one. Uh, Pontus yeah. Eberg, somehow. I mean, this is what he has in his repertoire. He's able to pull it out every now and then. But this is a, a really, really special goal because it's an individual effort for him. Not only does he steal the puck at the blue line, which is something we don't see from him too often, he just completely destroys Joachim Ryan. Turns him inside and then pulls it to the outside and Martin Jones has no idea what's going on he's out of position and Aberg throws him into the empty net i mean this i mean you were there so this this had to be crazy felt- to see this
0: it felt really, really good. Yeah. I mean, what a crazy sequence of, um, I mean, you saw the the physicality start picking up. Manson was getting, was starting to get into the game. I don't know if anything was said at, at intermission, but you could see they were coming out fighting and they wanted, they started to want it more. Um, and then this goal, I mean, he undressed him and the crowd was like, is this even real? Is this Aberg? Like, it was crazy. Um, it felt really, really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was good for the Ducks, considering this did not come against the grain of play. They deserved this goal. Of course, it was an individual effort by Ibrick, so there wasn't any build-up to the play, but they had been playing better up until this point, and then really after this goal, they took control of this game. They didn't really have many great a scoring chances after it, but they really flipped the script on the Sharks, and I think they surprised them. The Sharks definitely deserved to be winning this game. Again, the Ducks somehow fought back behind you know, behind John Gibson and were able to tie this. And then Hanson absolutely destroys Rourke Sharjay. I mean, he gets his first yeah. NHL goal, and then Hanson welcomes him <laughs> to the NHL with a massive Welcome. hit. And that picked up the energy from there. The Ducks controlled the play for the rest of the period, had a couple chances here and there, but ultimately couldn't finish it out. But goes to overtime at that point. Outshot 44-30. to 30. But in the third period, the scoring chances were 10-3 to in Anaheim's favor. High danger chances were 4-1. to One of their best periods, I think, all year because they didn't get caved in defensively. They actually controlled play for yeah. the period against a team who maybe is notorious for not being able to close out games. But they are one of the best. They're top three puck possession teams in the league. So for being able to dominate them in that category for one period is a, is a really good accomplishment for the Ducks.
0: It was nice to watch the sharks on their heels. It really was to see Carlson and Burns going kind of, um, kind of back and forth, trying to trying to chase um, our youngins around. was a was a good feeling, and I mean, stealing a point. Obviously, the, the shots show a little bit of a closer game towards the end just because of our uh, a little bit of an onslaught that came later. Um, it was definitely um, a steal of a point that we got. I mean that's I, I haven't felt that like good going into overtime like whoo, you know what we, we accomplished something tonight um, in a long time. And so just getting the point was was huge at this point.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean it was, it was huge. and you kind of felt maybe a little bit better going into overtime because of how the play had gone in the third period. But it, it wasn't a great execution in overtime for the Ducks. Uh, the Sharks had the puck for the first minute 10 before Gibson was finally able to cover up a, a poor shooting chance by Vander Kane. And then really no chances going the other way for Anaheim. They give the puck away. Gibson actually ends up stoning Timo Meyer in front, but he throws it right back out to him. I made the mistake of thinking it was a rebound because I didn't see the play originally, but he shovels it right out to Timo Meyer again who gets the OT winner, a disappointing end to the game for sure. But the fact that ducks were able to pick up a point, I think is the only bright spot other than Aberg's goal, because it, it, again, they were outshot 49 to 30. It was the seventh or sixth time. They've allowed 40 plus shots this season. It's uh <laughs> and it's a fifth straight loss. I mean, it, it, that's what, in the end, it's great. They came back. They did deserve it. They, they got a point. They probably didn't deserve, but it's still a fifth straight loss.
0: Yeah, not, um, I I guess the only, like, if we're looking at some sort of optimism, we are beginning a a pretty long, like, homestead with maybe a game in Staples and whatnot, and so maybe this is something they can build off and just be like, see, guys, we can do it, we just are playing lazy, we're playing flat-footed, and we're playing um, on our heels, and we're maybe just a little too wide-eyed, deer in headlights, um, but yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to relook at the goal. The second <laughs> when you're out of when you're out of game, and the second the opposing team scores, you are beelining for the exit because yeah. you're not feeling yeah. well. Especially with how many opposing fans are usually in the um, the potter Center. But um, yeah, the fact that I mean ugh, throwing the puck out, I understand like trying to maybe um, create a, a chance going the other way with three on three. But I mean, ugh, gotta be safe first. But you know what he. No one's gonna say anything to Gibby.
2: <laughs> no, nobody is gonna say anything to him at this point. He was clearly frustrated throughout the game, which he does. You know, he he has the right to be at this point. Um, if you look at the, the way the Ducks are surrendering shots this season, they're surrendering 38.3 shots per game on average. That's tied for the worst shots against mark in NHL history with the 1974-75 Washington Capitals. And if you don't know. That is widely regarded as one of the worst teams in NHL history. They finished with a record of 8-67-5. Now, I'm not saying the Ducks are going to get to that point, but when you're sharing a record, no matter what it is, and in this case, it's shot surrendering shots against, with the team that bad, it's never a good sign.
0: Now, that's an astounding number. I had no idea about that. and uh, um, Not good. Not good to be um, considered um currently at one of the world's worst of all time and so we obviously they need to turn it around and i think um with the the changing of things sending Schuster down or um excuse me yeah sending Schuster down um scratching shen bringing up the new kids um i i know there's a lot of people i mean everybody's just like fire carlo fire carlo fire carlo i i i'm trying to look around to see if that would really do it but um i mean he's he's changing a little bit of things to try to see what we can do here. How do you feel about um, the whole Fire Carlisle onslaught, which I'm sure we'll, we'll see in questions.
2: Yeah, I, I, we, I mean, that was every question we had last show pretty much. But uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of sympathize with them because it is, honestly, he should take or shoulder most of the blame for this. It, it is his system that is failing. It's a little bit modified from what he did last year in the sense that it's sped up. And it's made it more reckless and more disorganized than it was last year. So it's warranted. I mean, it's a fifth straight loss. Somebody pointed out to us on Twitter earlier today or yesterday that the last time Randy Carlo was fired, it was after a seven-game losing streak. The Ducks opponents coming up, it doesn't get much easier for them. If it gets to that point, because there aren't really... I mean, this this isn't a good thing. The, the way this game finishes is luck that they're able to get a point. You know, there was, yeah, no signs, there was no signs that things were turning around. So if it gets to that point, maybe. I mean, the only benefit is is Chelshock in our chat. Of You know, of course, Chelshock. He brought up saying... this the boy. Yeah, he said they started to play how they probably should play in the third period. Throwing the body around. They've been subpar physically this year. And it's probably a big reason they're getting at work game in and game out. I agree with that. I think if they can somehow take what they did in the third period and play a full 60-minute game like that, of course things will turn around, but that's right now it's a very small sample size. I'm interested to see next game maybe if they can watch some video on how what they did that period. I mean it's it's such a simple thing to say. I don't think things are going to change turn around but that's at least a bright spot seeing one period against a very good team in that category that they really, really outplay.
0: Yeah. um, They're going to have to to really bring it out of the gate because you see them just struggle at the gate. I mean, we're getting outskated immediately. The second the puck drops, boom, outskate. And so we need to be bringing the physicality immediately. And I thought maybe it would bring – obviously Nick Ritchie goes down with an injury, but – Early on in that first game, he came back. You saw that like, he tried to bring his old, the old Nick Ritchie right in, and maybe it slows people up a little bit. Maybe they don't um, rush to get the puck so fast. But um, I mean, he goes down with an injury, and I mean, the just <laughs> injuries just seem to be piling up. Everybody's going down. Comtois goes down. Ritchie goes down. Kessler, thankfully, fingers crossed, came back into the game after going down with a uh, a puck to the face. Um, but yeah, we need to come out swinging.
2: Yeah, I mean that the last thing we need is for Ryan Kesler to get injured again or for anybody else for that matter to get injured because Jakob Silferberg comes back in this game thankfully didn't get on the score sheet I believe but uh, he he just he looked good in this game. I think he looked like one of the better Ducks forwards because he is probably the best defensive forward the Ducks have. And he showed that in the play that you mentioned earlier, the diving play that prevented a goal. And just his overall presence on the ice defensively is something the Ducks need. How do you think he did in his return to the Ducks lineup?
0: Oh, terrific. I I, uh, I met him at the, the meet, meet and greet for the uh, Dex players, at the faceoff fest, I think it was a couple weeks ago, last week. Yeah. Um, and I shook his hand really hard and was like, oh, shoot, I hope, are we okay? <laughs> was that the wrong hand? And he's like, oh, we're good, man. I'm, I'm all good. Don't worry about me. I was like, all right. Um, and I mean... In the defensive aspect of his game, we all we know he has hands. We know he has that quick wrister. Um, but I mean, shorthanded today, he's taking the puck, driving into the other zone, doing anything he can with the puck with big guys around him um, just to get the puck in deep for us to get a, a slow a slow change with all of our um, changes. And I mean, he he looked amazing on defense tonight. It really looked good. And then that that diving play—they have a new thing at Honda Center where it's like the dig the dig of the game where um, it's just like the the defensive play of the game. And he was fully extended right on the puck um, to maybe break up a a scoring chance that takes us out of getting one point. And so um, he definitely would be a a star of the game for me, um, maybe off the sheet though.
2: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, uh, it's a matter of time before maybe he finds that chemistry again if they end up putting him back with Adam Henrique and maybe Maxim Comtois. When they're all back in the lineup, I would love to see that line back together just to see if they can regain some of that chemistry because the Ducks really haven't had a line this year other than than that line that has shown any sort of chemistry to stay together. So hopefully Uh, when Comtois comes back, we can see that. The other two guys making their season debuts for the Ducks today were uh, Jacob Larson and Andy Walensky. How do you think they did overall – you know, balancing their expectations. Of course we we weren't expecting too much for them, but how do you think they played?
0: There was there was flashes um I think from both of them. Maybe more so um that one play like that you mentioned from Larson was was a was a nice thing maybe to um maybe to dream with a little bit and see if we could see that more how that would look. Um Willensky I felt was maybe a little bit like I said, deer in headlights, just kinda like caught watching a little bit too much. Um, they were trying to make these passes that are very low percentage passes that maybe a team with more chemistry and maybe more veteran players could be doing, maybe like a, a, a gets left to Corey Perry type pass um, that we've seen in the past. But we're seeing a lot of these passes that just aren't high percentage and it leads to all these turnovers um, from them and others. But um, they looked they looked okay, we'll say that.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of I tend to agree with that. I think they looked okay, but I mean, when you look at the numbers, pretty much everybody looked okay or awful in this game for the Ducks. So there were some plays where, again, that play by Jakob Larson, I think he had some flashes, like you said, of moments in the game where he looked good. Uh, but other than that, there were positionally, I think Andy Walensky wasn't that great. Um, I think he was the worst of the two because there were a couple moments where I looked and I said, oh, yeah, that that was a nice play from Liveson. That was a pretty good play, and maybe when he gets a little more comfortable, things will turn around for him. Um, I'm notorious for not really being a huge fan of Andy Walensky, especially the way he finished last year. Um, I'm I'm glad he's getting another shot because, honestly, Suster and Shen haven't really done anything, so at that point, the Ducks aren't really that deep on the right side with talent. So giving another guy a shot and seeing what he could do, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the next man up now is Jake Dodge, and whenever he ends up playing a game for the goals and getting some conditioning. I'm interested to see how <laughs> that goes because he could arguably be the better of all four of them. And if he can come up and the Ducks can have some, at least three guys on the right side that are somewhat good and then maybe rotate the left or figure out who they want to play there, whether it's Jakob Larson or Marcus Pedersen or maybe eventually Josh Mahura comes up and gets a shot, that's an outside chance. But... They need some kind of chemistry to develop in the defense parent and up front because right now the the defense is just disorganized. Nobody's really working with anybody. And the only like I said earlier, the only consistent offensive line we had was come to Henrique and Silverberg. And and then other than that, it's the odd guys chipping in here and there. Today it was Auberg. A couple nights ago it was uh, it was Street. Uh in the Paul Korea night it was Steele and Kiefer Sherwood who are chipping in. You know, Raquel hasn't done too much. Getzloff hasn't done too much. It's tough to really get things going when you have no chemistry.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see what Dachin will look like if he um, can condition a little and maybe get down to his playing weight and not his offseason weight that he's probably still at. Um, But Dachin, correct me if I'm wrong, played with Hedman last year. And now Hedman, as most people know – um, very, very good. He was on my fantasy team last year and just absolutely destroyed the competition. And so if we can get someone who has played with some veteran, um, just like dynamites, that would be very interesting to see if him come up and maybe, um, maybe prove to everybody who made fun of him on every single social media that does hockey, um, that maybe he belongs in this league. <laughs>
2: I think so, yeah. I, that's the guy I'm probably most interested in seeing coming up on the blue line. I, I was happy to see Jakob Larson finally get another shot with the Ducks because he couldn't buy one last year. Uh, with Even with all the injuries the Ducks had, he couldn't really get a shot. It uh, wasn't the best debut, but again, I think he probably sticks around now with Marcus Pedersen down in San Diego. He'll probably get a few more games because, it really, it was those five. It was the top four and Pedersen who were always in the lineup. Now it looks like it's going to be the top four and Larson who are always going to be yeah. in the lineup. And then maybe Wilinski switches out with whoever else they want to throw in there. If it's Luke Shen they want to throw in there, maybe um, we will yeah. see that next game. But I'm, I'm happy that Larson seems to be getting at least more than one game of a look. Um, let's move into the fan questions. We have a couple. I'm sure they're probably all the same as the last show, but we'll still get into them. Uh, we had Stephen ask, how did Larson do? We just covered that. Uh, Patrick, who is not on the show tonight, is sending in questions. He said, if Randy Great. Carroll gets canned, who's taking his spot, and who would you guys like to see take over? So I'll start with you because we haven't heard your answer for that.
0: Um, Dallas Eakins. Now I've heard, um, I know he had a, um, a rough um, career in Edmonton. Um, I mean, with that like fan base, anybody who's not succeeding is going to have a rough go. But um, I think that some of the things he's done in San Diego is really good. I do like that um, a lot of our younger players who are starting in San Diego and moving up now um, will, are still in the same system. And so having him come up would be, um, I think, just kind of like the clear, obvious thing. I don't think any of our other new assistant coaches are, are fit for the job. And I'm not really sure about any available coaches that will be going. Nobody's gotten fired so far this year. Um, and so it's, it's rough. I mean, they, I honestly think that they're going to wait till the end of the year because he's walking at the end of the year and like, obviously, unless he gets another contract, which no one's expecting that. Um, and so I can see them pulling the injury card and just keeping him around till the end of the end of the year.
2: Yeah, I I, I could see that. Um, the, the only thing I think if it continues to get really bad, I think they're, he's going to kind of force his hand. In firing Randy Kyle, it's not the same as last year where if they were to fire him, they'd still have to pay him money this year because his contract had mm-hmm. more year on it. It's expiring at the end of the year, so they don't have to pay him after this. They fire him. He's paid for the rest of this year, and that's it, and they're done. So if it gets to a point where it's really bad, then, yeah, I think he gets fired. They're, they're going to have no choice but to try and switch things up to save the season. The Ducks aren't a team who expected to be this bad. They're not a team who's expected to miss out on the playoffs so it's eventually, Bob Murray's hands are going to be forced, and he's going to have to. But I don't see them going outside the organization. I think you. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember the last couple guys who were fired midseason, but I, I don't think you really ever see, unless a high profile guy is available, a team go to an outside source to hire in the middle of the season. It's, midseason, yeah. I usually, from my memory, it's it's a guy who's within the organization, and that would make the most sense because it's it's a lot easier to do that. So I think if he does get fired, they promote Dallas Eakins as some, as is almost an interim head coach. And then they decide to make a decision at the end of the season. They'll obviously evaluate how the rest of the season would go under Dallas Eakins. And then they'll look at what would likely be more options available at the end of the season. when other teams decide what they want to do with their coaches or other contracts expire, or maybe they look at the AHL like they did before they hired Randy Carlisle. So, uh, if, if, if I had to say who I think is going to take over, it's Dallas Deacons. If I say who do I want to take over, I, I can't really answer that right now without looking at possible guys who could be available in the future. Um, so we had another question on Instagram too. If we were to trade a current key player, uh, key player, I guess that's opinion-based if you want to choose, I would assume. <laughs> I, I guess if we're going to say key player, top six or top four defenseman, who should we trade?
0: I I mean, I think that maybe dishing... I mean, the problem is, if we continue losing, then we are not. We don't want to bring somebody in for the short term if we're going to bring them into a short-term, like, non-cup run. I mean, if we're not going to be making the playoffs anyways, there's no reason to bring in a high-profile player, I don't think. Um, if we can get our feet under us a little bit, um, maybe dishing someone like Fowler. I know that's probably not a very popular answer, but just kind of like the... Um, I think I've heard you guys talk about it, his his ceiling is pretty much set. Um, and so someone like Montour has maybe a little bit more room to grow. Even Manson, I think, even has a little more room to grow. Cam Fowler, we kind of know what we're getting. Um, and so if we can move him for someone like Nylander, um, that would be very interesting. Maybe him in and maybe Silverberg and Nylander or something like that. But, um, but that's only if we're in a position where it's going to actually make sense. You don't want to be making these moves and getting these great players um, on, like, temporary contracts for a non-playoff run. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, when, when I answer that question, I, I have to kind of side with you and, and look at like only guys who could possibly be moved. I mean, you pretty much exclude Raquel, Getzlaff, uh, Henrik. You're not going to move those guys. So if I was to look at forward, the only likely option of a of a key player for this team is Jakob Silverberg, who I do think is actually going to get traded no matter what because I don't think the Ducks are going to be able to re-sign him. I think he's probably the most likely Duck to get moved at this point. But you bring up an interesting point that we discussed, I think, two shows ago with uh, William Nylander and, and his contract issue still going on. And he only has five weeks to sign a contract before he's ineligible to play for the entire season. So the Leafs are obviously trying to work to get something done. Uh, Carolina and Minnesota have been rumored to be in. The Leafs are obviously looking for a right shot defenseman. When you look at Carolina, they got a, a plethora of them and Justin Falk and Brett Pesci. And uh, you've got uh, Minnesota who have Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, among others. And then if you look at the Ducks, I mean, that would likely be either Josh Manson or Brandon Montour. So if you're looking at a key player to trade, if you can bring in a guy like William Nylander, then, of course, I think you trade Manson or Montour and whatever else it takes. When you look at that sense, though, they probably can't re-sign a guy like William Nylander to a $7 million contract for seven or eight years without tying their hands for any contracts they have to sign in the future. Of course, if you didn't have Kessler or Perry or Getzloff's contract in the book, you could do it, but... We all know that's not going to get moved. Uh, the second part of his question was, who would you want to see on this team? I think we kind of got to modify that a bit. Taking out like the elite, yeah. elite like Sidney Crosby, David yeah. McDavid, who is a, a guy that you would like to see on this team that maybe isn't a, a superstar player? Um,
0: I feel like some of our faster players have made nice impacts I mean even like Kiefer Sherwood who is not this like world beater but I mean he's making a, a wonderful um, like imprint on, on our game and so maybe someone like Matt Zuccarello I've always liked him I think I mean he's so fast blazing fast um, I forget if he got signed last year to a long term deal or anything like that I know he was maybe rumored to be moving out of uh, of New York but I mean he would be he would be cool to be on the same end. plus is he is he Finnish? is that I forget is he, I
2: think is he from Finland? norwegian i'm pretty sure he's norwegian,
0: norwegian. Yeah. okay well he's european
2: so he's got the gold chain and he's ready for action <laughs> yeah um i think for me uh, anybody who's especially last year around trade deadline there was only one guy that i was looking at to come to the ducks and that was thomas tatar the way he's yeah you, loved, season, you love your boy yeah that's he's my boy and the way he started the season with the montreal canadians um he has eight points in, i believe nine games he's cooled down a little bit but He's still a guy I would love to, to have on this team because I think he's a, he's kind of fits the mold of the Ducks where he is a, a pretty reliable two-way player. He has a great shot when he's utilized correctly, like, like Montreal has utilized him this year, playing on a top line with a, a good playmaker in Max Domi. Then he is a, a guy who can put the puck in the back of the net and, and be a solid contributor on a regular basis. And I think if you had him and come, played him with, say, Raquel and Getzloff, I think that would be a place where he could thrive being the, the designated shooter ...on that line. Obviously, it doesn't happen now. Montreal seems to be really content with having him in the lineup, and they just gave up uh, a, a lot, per se, for him. They, they ended up giving Pacioretty, and then I know Tatar wasn't the main piece coming back in that deal, but uh, he looks to be set with that team at least for the foreseeable future. Um, Matthew Bernier has a question on Instagram that uh, I'm sure we would love to answer. He says, how frustrated are you while watching the Ducks? You were there, so how frustrated were you for that game?
0: It's pretty tough. Um, I had a Sharks fan right in front of me. Um, he was playing Pokemon Go the whole time, and every time they scored, he took a second, and was like, "Oh, it was us!" Woo-hoo! and he just turns around right in my face, and it's it's rough, man. It's um, that's why the third the third period, you start feeling good, and um, it, it's gotten to the point that some of these games during the off season here, where or excuse me, during the beginning of the season here, where you're like, are, "Do you think we'll ever score again?" Like, like, or are we ever going to get a power play again? Um, and so that third period, on uh, like I, I felt myself getting up and out of my seat a little bit more and kind of looking around like, let's do this, you know what I mean, and so, um up until that point it was it was really rough
2: yeah, it, it's yeah. it's tough. I mean, for me, because we have to talk about these these games after every game it, it's it's really more frustrating because it's it's the same problems every game. now I, I think yeah. anybody would be frustrated at, at, at any point of their favorite team losing five games in a row, no matter what the circumstances are, but it's the same issues that we talk about after each game, you know, the Ducks they got outshot by a significant margin. John Gibson played his ass off and he was the best player on the ice and the Ducks did nothing to help him defensively. They're disorganized. On offense, they can't get anything going for a sustained period of time. It's the same five or six problems at the end of each game. So I think that's more so to me is what's really frustrating about this team and what the main problem they've had this season and why it's so frustrating for everybody to watch them. Um let's move to Facebook. We only got a couple questions here. We're pretty much almost done for some of the questions. Uh Derek wants our thoughts on the D pairings. We already answered how we think Walensky and Larson did tonight, but what would I kinda of have a question for you, what do you think your what would be your ideal pairings on defense if Larson and Walensky were gonna be the five and six guy? Um
0: well, I mean, listening to... Okay, so here's something that i thought about in the past. Like, we, we never take account on maybe how the players feel, like, together. Like, we don't we don't hear the um, in-the-locker-room, maybe, chemistry that some of these guys have. Um, and so, I don't really know. I just... Um, I want who... I want them to put out who feels the most comfortable um, with each other. You know what I mean? And so, if it's the current... Um, deep pairings that we're not happy with, then um, then they just need to work on each other. But um, I think that it's it's interesting to see um, the two youngins up over Shen and uh, Schuster and Pedersen. Um, Pedersen um, <laughs> he has a couple good plays. He's starting to get his like his uh, stick work down better. But um, he was getting laid out in a couple of those games, and, and Shen is is known to take a couple errant penalties, and so. Um, Uh, a nice influx. And I know everybody wants it, but um, I think that something has to be done because you can't just keep putting out the same exact product and expecting different results. It's just not going to happen. I mean, maybe if you catch a a, a shitty team on an off night, we'll get a win and be like, we're good, but it's yeah. just not going to happen. And we're seeing five games in a row of it not happening.
2: Yeah, uh, I, yeah I agree with you. I mean, it's it's just the deep right now, I, I've never really thought of that because you bring up a good point and guys being comfortable playing with each other. We, we all really still don't know the reason why uh, Randy Carlisle and Marty Wilford switched up the pairings that we had seen all of last season, especially in the, the end of last season. And the main, I mean, Hamp- Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson became the Kessler, Coglan on Silverberg of the blue line for this team, where no matter how many times you switched the lineup, those guys were always together. And that was the case going all the way into the end of the season, even when they lost in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden at the start yeah. of the season, they're not together anymore, and and maybe there's something to that. I have no idea. They 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 haven't put them back. The Ducks have lost five games in a row, and they're still not together. So maybe there is something behind that. I mean, it's all speculation at this point. We know have no idea how their relationship is between Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson, and the same with Fowler and Montour. But the you know it, it is wearing the fact that they haven't been put back together, and what could really be going on behind the reasoning for that. Um, Couple questions here on Twitter. Uh, Joseph Roba asked us if Max Jones is healthy or even Kevin Waugh, would you prefer to see him over Brian Gibbons in the lineup?
0: So that kind of comes down to if Brian Gibbons can be sent down or who would be sent down kind of. Um, of course Kevin Wall, I mean, last year from not even knowing who he was until, and then all of a sudden on these on that first um, like, or not first long road trip, but the, the first road trip where we were going to some of the East Coast teams, him coming alive against the Blues was super cool and everybody was um, getting on the Kevin Wall train. Um, and so of course I would love to see him back in the lineup. Um, Max Jones I've been, I mean, excited. I've been listening to you talk about him since he was a um, 11 years old and so it's when he first came with Troy Terry into the goals and they were just kind of like lighting up the um those games I think it was maybe last week or the week before yeah I mean <laughs> we're putting everybody up right now we're, we're taking chances everywhere we need to we need to try to figure out anything that can work and so if uh, Max Jones is is healthy and um and ready then yeah let's move him up if it's not gonna maybe put somebody on waivers of course I'm not sure if Gibbons um of course he can be scratched but I don't he can't be sent down right
2: uh, I I well he can be sent down and you'd have to pass through waivers. Um, I don't yeah. think that would be an option the Ducks would pursue. I, I just no think way. uh you know, Joseph among others have been frustrated with with the way uh, Brian Gibbons has played. I haven't not, I haven't disliked him as much. I think he is kind of what you expected of him. You know, you look at the way he played in New Jersey last year, I think that was a one off season for him. The the way he was contributing offensively for them. I don't think he's necessarily been the, the worst player the Ducks have, but when you look at the guys like Max Jones, I mean, he was a guy who probably would have started the season in Anaheim if it wasn't for his thumb injury. And, and yeah. now the fact that he's in San Diego trying to get some conditioning, maybe eventually we see him get called up. Because if you look, Maxim one Lindstrom, yeah, they've played their uh, past their nine-game or their 10-game limit. So they, they are burned a year off their entry-level contract. But there still is the 41-game mark where if they go past that, uh, it, it, I believe it erased. They have one less year before unrestricted free agency. So that's Their UFA status. Yeah. yeah, so that's another milestone that you have to look for and say maybe those guys will be sent down before that period if this hot start doesn't continue. And then Lundstrom could be sent down to the AHL. More likely than not, he'd be sent back to Sweden because that's where he's rumored to want to go to. And then Maxim Komtor could be sent down to the QMJHL. And He could be even sent down earlier than that if the Ducks would like him to participate in the World Juniors. Of course, they can't call him back up after that. But if they want to do that so he can go down and get some experience again at that tournament and then finish the year out in the QMJHL, they have that option. And Max Jones, because now he's back and healthy, even Kelly Kosala is now back and healthy in the Gulls lineup. And eventually Kevin Waugh will be back and healthy in that lineup as well. So I think that could be an option they take down the road. But I would love to see Max Jones. I think... Before the season started, he was probably the most NHL-ready physically prospect that the Ducks had, and it was unfortunate, again, that he ended up getting injured, but he, he could make a real difference to this lineup. I'm not, not saying that he's going to turn this team around, but I think he could be a, yeah. a, a really good player for the Ducks.
0: Yeah, he's super confident, too. I listened to your interview with him that you did. Um, I think it was the last year interview, not the one. You guys did one recently, too, with him. Um, I mean, just listening to him talk, I'm just like, damn, this kid is, like, ready. I think he said he had the hands of Corey Perry, um, or he had the the physicality of Corey Perry with the hands of... um, Forget who he compared himself to, but it was uh, it was someone that you don't just throw around lightly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I mean, hey, give give him a shot, you know. I mean, it couldn't be worse than um, some of the things that Richie's done in the past.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, the thing that I really liked from his interview, the last one we did, um, I believe it was at the the early part of the summer this year, is we asked him what he had worked on most. And before we went into the interview, I told Patrick I was like, if he says discipline. I'm going to love him for that because he could say, he could go a cliche answer, I wanted to get bigger, I wanted to work on my shot or whatever, but the fact that he recognized that he had to work on his discipline, that he took what the, the Ducks organization told him and said, yeah, I'm going to work on that and get better at it. He did. He from Before he got hurt in the OHL, he had worked on it. You weren't seeing these ridiculous plays. And you remember Bob Murray saying that he still didn't like the way that Max Jones played. He, he played an undisciplined style of game that they didn't like, and then he needed to work on it. And I'm glad to see that he had the maturity to, to say that he was actually trying acknowledge to- it. Yeah. But yeah. we, we go from one ducks prospect talking about one to an interview with another. We had a, the opportunity to interview ducks, 2017, fourth round pick Kyle Olson, a couple days ago. Uh, he's playing in the tri city Americans in the WHL And uh, he wanted to, we talked to him about what his play has been this year with the team, uh, how he has dealt with injuries over the last season and this year, and his increased role with the team. So we're going to queue that up right now. Cool. All right, so we're here interviewing Duck's 2017 fourth-round pick, Kyle Olson. How's everything going, Kyle?
1: Uh, it's going good. How are you doing?
2: Pretty good, pretty good. So I want to talk about uh, Duck's training camp. This, I believe, was your second time there, right? Uh, yeah, it was. Okay, so going into your second camp, does it get a little bit easier? You know, you've, you've got, you have you've you got know a lot of the guys now. You've kind of got an idea of what's going to happen there. Is it a bit easier going through the second time around?
1: uh well technically it was it was kind of my my first time actually going through it healthy uh the first year i was there i i had an injury and uh i couldn't uh couldn't participate but uh yeah no for the for the second time being there and around the guys it was it was easier
2: yeah, and, and I mean what what kind of what did you really take away from that experience like you said it was your first time healthy so you actually get to participate in the games you got to participate in the rookie camp in Vegas what was that experience like
1: uh it was it was really fun um, it was it was cool to, to actually be able to play and uh, to play with with all the other guys who are drafted and uh, to see to see how you can do at at that level uh, it was really good
2: yeah, and I mean you got a hat trick in the game against the Vegas Golden Knights. Take us through that experience.
1: Uh yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um I was I was put together with with two really good line mates and uh they they we had a lot of chemistry together and and they did good and allowed me to to get uh, get some goals so it was nice. Perfect. Hey, um you got
3: you got that hat trick. Uh did did, did anyone actually throw any hats on the ice for you?
1: <laughs> no, no one did. No,
3: <laughs> not in Vegas against Vegas, I suppose.
2: <laughs> no. Uh, so you talked about going through a, an injury at last training camp, and that actually caused you to miss uh, a large portion of last season. Uh, how difficult was it to come back from that and really get prepared and, and finish out the season in Tri City?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. It was a long. Felt like a long time coming, and uh, it was a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of rehab, and a lot of therapy. But uh, it's uh, it was it was worth it to get it fully healthy, and uh, now I'm feeling good and ready to go.
2: Perpetan, I mean, you're going into the season fully healthy, and you've been given, or you've been stepping into a leadership position. You've been given the alternate captaincy with the Americans. How how does that feel to have that responsibility going into what could be your final season?
1: Uh it's it's nice. It's nice to have. Uh, it's nice to, to finally be in a, in a leadership role and, and show the, the young guys, you know, how, show them the ropes and show them how, how we play here on the Americans. Because I remember coming in at 16 and, and being one of those young guys and looking up to the leaders uh, that were there at, at my time.
3: So uh, you did deal with uh, that injury uh, a little bit, or I'm sorry, the, the team dealt with a little bit of injuries uh, and you actually ended up playing center last year on uh, are back at the wing. Now, do you have a preference from one position over the other?
1: Uh, well, I'd say I think I've played most more of my junior career at wing. Um, so I'd say if I was to pick, pick one or the other, I'd, I'd probably pick wing and, and feel more comfortable there. But that being said I also feel feel comfortable at center so I can play both both positions pretty well
3: are you good at uh, face offs for center
1: uh, I, I try to be some games <laughs> some games go better than others but um, yeah I, I try to be and even on on uh, our line now if, if our center gets kicked out and um, I just I like to make sure I'm, I'm sharp on my face so I can go in and, and take one
3: Cool. All right. Well, with uh, this year, what kind of uh, goals did you set for yourself?
1: Um, I just just kind of wanted. Uh, first off, I wanted to step up into the the leadership role and and uh, be able to wear an A. So that's that's good that I got that. And then, um, you know, I just wanted to, to play the best hockey that I can play, and uh, hopefully, uh, in the in the end. Uh, get a contract with the Ducks
2: and it's been a good season so far I mean you guys are sitting atop the US <laughs> division with an 8-4 and four record despite uh, I guess what would be considered a lot of turnover your, your, two, th- uh, your three top goal scorers in Geeky, Topping, and Coughlin are all gone from last season and you have a new head coach behind the bench in Kelly Bookberger uh, how is that uh, how hard has it been to kind of deal with a lot of that turnover and still have a successful start to the season?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different getting used to a new coach and, and the systems that he wants us to play. Um, but I think guys are guys are stepping up into new positions. Like, yeah, we had our top three point, point scorers uh, move on, but uh, other guys are, are stepping up to, to fill those positions
2: and you've been given a spot on the top line this season playing with nolan Remco. how has uh, that transition gone for you to move up in the lineup and be a guy that uh, the team depends upon uh
1: yeah i think i think it's been good uh i kind of i kind of make sure that i can play on any or play any role that uh, the coach wants me to play so uh to be on the first line it's 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 been good and me and Uramco have created some chemistry, so uh, we work well together.
3: All right. And so you, uh, you chose uh, the Tri-City Americans or the WHL, uh, but we also I heard that you were considering going the NCAA route. What uh, made you choose the WHL over that?
1: Um, I, yeah, I, I was considering the, the NCAA route uh, a lot. And uh, it wasn't until my 16-year-old year where I could actually play in the dub. Um, I came down here for camp, and um, I had a pretty good, pretty good tryout. And I thought both me and my, my parents thought that I could stay here and uh, be an impact player for the Ams, and so did the coach. So I just kind of, kind of made my decision by that.
3: Cool. And then you so you were born in Calgary and you did you grow up mostly in Calgary or uh, were you kind of down this way um, uh, in the Washington area where you're at right now?
1: Uh, no, I, I played all of my my minor hockey career in Calgary.
3: OK, well, did you ever get a chance to uh, watch the, the Hitman play or even see uh, Getzloff play around back then?
1: Yeah. Uh... Getzlaff was was pretty early. Um, I don't really I think I, I think I did see him play a couple of times. But like that's yeah. that, that was pretty early for me. But yeah, I went to went to a lot of hit me games when I was younger. It's awesome.
3: And then um, obviously, I mean, you were drafted by uh, the Ducks. And so we know that it's got to be your favorite team ever since, you know, growing up and all that stuff. But if you had another favorite team uh, in the NHL, what was that team possibly growing up?
1: Uh, I'd probably say the Flames, just that I, that I grew up in Calgary and, and watching them all the time. I'd say they were my, my favorite team growing up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Anaheim. So yeah, it was always the Ducks for me too. It's was just uh, that <laughs> local team you can root for and see
1: all the time.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on the show, Kyle. It was great to interview. We hope you have a successful season with Tri-City this year, and hopefully we'll be able to see you around either Anaheim or San Diego next season.
1: Sounds good. Thank you very much. Have a good one, Kyle.
2: You too. All right, so that was our interview with Kyle Olsen, Ducks fourth-round pick from 2017 with the Tri-City Americans. It was great having him on the show. I'm, you know, we're trying to complete our, our journey of interviewing most of the Ducks prospects. We've gotten through a, a fair amount of them now, but it was great to have him on, despite the fact he's dealing with an injury right now. Um, so again, thank you to Kyle Olsen for coming on the show. Uh, one thing we, a couple things we have to go through at the end of the show here, as you know, we always do. We have to give a, a, a thanks out to Cool Hockey. Uh, we just finished our giveaway. Chris Hurt was the winner of our third jersey giveaway for the summer. So congratulations to Chris for that. We'll be doing more giveaways throughout the season. Included in that is our monthly giveaway. We run through, uh, The giveaway we run on Twitter through Forever Mighty Three Stars where you make predictions and you get points on the leaderboard. The same, same two every night where it's predict the Ducks first goal score and predict the final score. And then we have a random one and maybe some bonus ones thrown into that as well. Uh, Going into tonight, there's this game and then one more game for October. We had a tie for the lead with a couple people right behind them. So it'll be interesting to see after tonight's game who is leading in that. And at the end of the month... I got Manson. Yeah, you got (laughs) Manson. I got uh, Manson. Let's go. (laughs) Picking up the points, Uh, there's maybe still time for everybody. I mean, there's four points up to grab tonight, four points up to grab with the bonus on the next game as well so maybe sometime if not if you're already out of it for this month make sure to enter in as many times as you can in november because like i said the the person with the most points at the end of the month ends up winning a jersey from our great sponsors over at cool hockey also if you haven't checked it out we have patreon now we're running that uh on patreon.com slash puck guys forever mighty uh, we've got a couple different tiers with a, a bunch of bonuses thrown in there throughout uh, if you're at the top tier, we have four different bonus shows. We have a new bonus show, the top 10 bonus show, going up uh, sometime this week whenever we can get that uploaded. And then we'll be recording our Q&A show that will be going up uh, sometime next week as well before the end of the month. And then the as well as part of that, we do, I believe it's in our $10 tier, we have a monthly game show contest where we pick one of our Patreon subscribers from that tier. And uh, we invite them on. We do a little trivia thing for Ducks Trivia. And they have a chance to win some signed memorabilia or whatever we we happen to be giving away that month. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure to go check it out at patreon.com slash puckguysandforevermighty. That will be the end of the Forever Mighty post-game podcast for this week. We have to thank uh, my buddy McCann Sanford for coming on and filling in for Patrick. Thanks for coming on, man.
0: Yeah, no, it was fun. Um, we play NHL um, pretty often with our uh, homie Brett. Um, shout out Shellshock. Um, and so it's nice to um, thank you so much. I mean, I was um, surprised and, and very humbled to, uh, to see in my DM today after work. And so thank you so much.
2: Um, available anytime. This was very fun. A little nervous at first, but you know, it's, uh, it's fun, man. Thank you so much. No problem. It takes a bit to get into it. Uh, Pat's going to have to send you a big thank you for not being able to, to make the show same with Jason. But uh, next show, we should – we should I keep saying this every, at the end of every show, but then all of a sudden something comes up. We should be back yeah. on regular schedule. So you should be seeing my face, Patrick's face, and most likely Jason's face on the next post-game show. Um, so, yeah, I mean th- this will be going up every time on YouTube and on uh, Spreaker. And I got to thank uh, Joseph Robot again for the intro for this show and for the outro you guys are about to see. Uh, so thanks, guys. Have a good night. We'll see you next game.